Hello and welcome to Must See Matches. It is another two-seater on the open road of professional wrestling this week. Just myself and uh, making his entrance down the zip wire from the ceiling as every week. It's Mark Buckledy. Mark, how are you doing? I'm good. Hopefully I do assure Michaels of it and not Boris Johnson of it. <laughs> Can you imagine how embarrassing that would have been if like Michaels had just got trapped above 15,000 people on that zip wire? I imagine he wouldn't have been. He'd have been as, as happy as he was in the Vader match at SummerSlam 96 if that happened. <laughs> I didn't introduce mm. myself. I'm Kieran Lefort. Um I'm sort of de facto host of this nonsense, I suppose, these days. I mean, you're the one with the voice for radio and I'm the one with the face for radio. <laughs> We're going to get that put on our T-shirts. Uh, so, last week, it was the two biggest stars in the promotion, in the main event of the biggest show uh, of the year, Hiroshi Tanahashi versus Kazuchika Okada at Wrestle, uh, Wrestle Kingdom 10. This week, it is the two biggest stars in the promotion, in the main event of the biggest show of the year, Bret Hart versus Shawn Michaels in the Iron Man match from WrestleMania 12, March 31st, 1996. Uh, am I right in thinking, Mark, that you had not seen this match before? You are right uh, for two reasons. One, I really don't go back and watch a lot of uh, 90s US wrestling. And two, if I know a match is going to go really, really long, it has to be very good for me to be bothered to go back and watch it. <laughs> well, this isn't the longest match we're going to be covering. We have, I can think of at least three matches at least this long, if not longer, that we've got coming up in the 104. Mm. Um, so I was going to say length is not the issue, but it might well be the issue. Uh, it, it's not the length, it's what you do with it. I think actually might be apt in this case. <laughs> Yes, let's say that. Uh, so uh, I don't know how to contextualise this, really, because I didn't have time to watch the uh, the TV run-up. Uh, and Raw in 1996 was different to, to Raw sort of like post-2000. Like it's uh, sometimes what was built up on TV didn't actually happen at the pay-per-view. There's a whole succession of WrestleManias where the programs that are on TV do not translate into the matches that happen at the show. Um, but this one was uh, on top of a largely dull WrestleMania, as I remember. Uh, what was the, what was the Okay, lineup? I've got the card here. So yeah. the lineup starts with the Body Donners versus the Goblins. Mm -hmm. Then you have the Huckster versus the Nacho Man comedy match. Uh, you have Jim Cornette's team of Owen Hart, British Bulldog, and Vader versus Ahmed Johnson, Jake Roberts, and Yokozuna. You have a, a parking lot and a Hollywood lot brawl match between yes. Roddy Piper and Goldust. You have Austin versus Savio Vega, which had a whopping 4.7 on cage match. That's not stars, that's out of 10. <laughs> Yeah, that's out of 10. Uh, Warrior versus Triple H. Mm -hmm. uh, Taker versus Diesel. Now, all of these, except for the parking lot, added together a 47 minutes of ring time. Yeah. Um, I seem to remember the Hollywood backlot brawl was entertaining because there wasn't much of that kind of stuff going on at the time. Um, and they just... It was pre-taped several days before, and they just beat the crap out of each other um, through each other. I think they did a they did a spot where Goldust ran Piper over with a Cadillac. Um, they then uh, I don't know if you've seen this at all, Mark. Nope. Okay, so uh, uh, Goldust speeds away in the Cadillac. Uh, <laughs> Piper gets into a white Ford Bronco and gives chase. Oh, Jesus. And that rather than shoot new footage, they intercut footage of the OJ chase <laughs> throughout the pay-per-view until they arrive at the arena, end up in the ring uh, after more brawling, and it ends when Piper strips off Goldust's gold, out gold outfit to reveal he is wearing women's underwear underneath, and that's the end of the match. There's no pinfall, there's no submission, that's just it. <sighs> so and, uh, and, I, and i do a bloody ddt podcast <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so uh um that was uh th that was i mean technically the semi-main event um 
Yeah, uh, the only other like famous thing to come out of this show is the uh, Ultimate Warrior squashing Hunter Hearst Helmsley in 90 mm. seconds. Um, I've heard of this thing. Yeah. Um, it was... Uh, some. I mean, it's been reframed uh, to be a punishment for the curtain call, even though I think it happened about a month before that. Mm. Um, it was just, you know the guy who was picked to lose to warrior in his big return. And then he was a massive flop and fucked off to WCW um, where he was another massive flop. Uh, anyway, we're kind of uh, <laughs> much like the match we're talking about. We're kind of stalling for time here. Uh, there's a couple of things I want to, to, to pop in here. Yeah, sure. Um, so first of all, let's go st- on the stats because I'm aware that last week's episode um, I basically didn't get in with my usual stats which is fine because we've got another uh, bucket load of New Japan matches to talk to talk about in the future so uh, this is the first of six Bret Hart matches that we're going to be covering on this podcast mm-hmm. uh, Bret was nominated for 21 matches Good this Lord. is the this is the you say that this is the second of seven Shawn Michaels' matches we'll be covering on the podcast. Mm. He had 25 matches nominated. Wow. And, and two other matches where he was guest referee. <laughs> uh, so Shawn is probably... He's the second highest, I think, because I think the highest uh, number of nominated matches is Kenta Kabashi with 26. Mm-hmm. And then Sean is tied with Kenny Omega, of all people, on interesting. 25. What an interesting uh, group of wrestlers. The, but the funny thing is, so Sean's have more match, will have more matches that we'll talk about, but Sean's highest match was only 22nd on the list. Brett has two in the top five. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so that's quite interesting because it kind of suggests that Brett's matches maybe stick out a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing I want to say, so this is 1996 and we've had a few other matches uh, free that we've covered already on this podcast from 1996. So we've had Michaels versus Mankind. Yes. We've had Anita versus uh, Funk, mm-hmm. which I think was 96. And we've had Mysterio versus Psychosis. So it's fascinating to compare those kind of matches were happening at this time and this match also happened. Funk and Onita was 93. Okay, so I'm a just complete before, idiot. Just before we get the angry tweets. No, no, it's yep, fine. Yeah, I'm a complete idiot. Not remotely. So, yeah. Um, yeah, the, the Mankind match happens six months after this, like five to six mm. months after this. And it feels quite different. It certainly does, yeah. Um, uh, this is from the very much the down period of WrestleManias where they were in uh, arenas rather than stadiums. Um, and unless you want to count Madison Square Garden for 20, they don't go to the WrestleMania sized building as we know it until uh, 17 in 2001. Hmm. So business wasn't amazing for WWF at this point. There's, the state of the company is kind of reflected. In the, in the gate for this, or the attendance for this, really. They announced it on TV as 18,852. Uh, supposedly, the figure in the building is 15,855, uh, and uh, 3,000 of those are comps. Jesus. Yeah, yeah. A WrestleMania that drew 12,000 paying customers. Like, that's unthinkable in the past 20 years. I mean, also, though, you look at, how flat that card felt it was a yeah. one match card yeah well, there's, there's nothing special there's like, there's nothing on here uh, with the exception of maybe undertaker and diesel and the warrior return that you would not see on any other pay-per-view in 95 or 1996 like uh, uh the steve austin versus savio vega was part of a, a long-running feud for example um the the Cornets team versus Jake Roberts's team was kind of part and including Yokozuna was part of a long running program. Um, there's no 
there's none of the the marquee stuff you would get at a modern WrestleMania. There's none of the special one-offs. There's none of the celebrity stuff. Um, mm. There's also, thankfully, none of the length you get of a current WrestleMania. Like this show is done in three hours flat. Um, and one third of that, more than a third of that, is the main event. I mean, if you take the video package in, it's nearly half of that. Yeah, yeah. We should start with that. Actually, I thought the video package was tremendous. Yeah, the the video packages that they use to start it is quite different because you don't actually get many these days. You don't really get WWE video packages that are being um, narrated by a narrator for the whole length. You'll get like snippets of. Uh, interviews you'll get snippets of commentary you'll never get a specific narrator telling a specific story for the video package and it works really well here this appeared to be a young subdued michael cole on narration duties i was wondering yeah. is it michael cole there was definitely michael i cole think Owens. 96 was when he first joined the company uh as mm. uh, as a frosted tipped backstage interviewer as he had become um and the other thing about this video package is most modern video packages are about the confrontation between the two opposing forces. So mm. there'll be lots of stuff of them facing off in the ring on raw, getting into wild brawls, uh, snippets of promos back and forth about each other. There's not that in this, this is two athletes, the champion and his number one contender who are going to collide at this show. There's almost no footage of them going face to face. It's all showing their skill against other people. Yeah. So before we get to the match itself, I've got two questions for you. Okay. Because you, you've you watched a lot more 90s WWF than I have. I did watch it in the 90s, so my, yeah. uh, my, my memory might not be at its best for this question, but go ahead. So the first thing, and this has just seemed really weird to me, is I'm aware of Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels being the two cornerstones of WWF in this period for a long period of time. Mm-hmm. But when I looked on Cage Match, they only had one match on TV and three matches on pay-per-view. And the pay-per-view matches were SummerSlam 92, this Survivor Series 92. Oh, Survivor Series 92. My notes are horrible. (laughs) Uh, Survivor Series 92. I see, you're the expert. Um, This and the Montreal Screwdrop. Mm Mm-hmm. That just seems weird to me that they just never really fought each other. Is that? Uh, that I, I'm assuming you got cage match open. Have you had a look at what they were doing on house shows at any point? I know they were doing house show matches, but yeah. Um, and is the TV match you speak of the the prototype ladder match? Because that um, didn't even air on TV. That was a Coliseum video exclusive. Oh really? It yeah. might not have been that one, but yeah. Yeah. Um, don't forget that they had um, uh, gone up against each other in the tag division beforehand, Heart Foundation versus the Rockers at the end of the 80s, early 90s. Um, And, I mean, the plain fact is they didn't like each other. Mm. I am not for one moment suggesting that your workplace is as disharmonious as the WWF of the 1990s, but there must be somebody in your office you don't like especially much and you would rather not have to work with them i think it's the same in every workplace yeah i work in such a small office i'm no commenting that but i have exactly. had that i wasn't expect i wasn't expecting you to but you can yeah, yeah, yeah. You, i think almost anybody who works in an environment around a a certain amount of other people like per, there are personalities that, that might not necessarily clash in the way that michaels and hart did but mm-hmm. you would prefer to avoid them if you could. And yeah. these two and, kind of came together when there was money to be made. And you could kind of see that because if we're looking back to when we did the uh, the ladder match, uh, Sean versus Razor Ramon, mm. uh, in the build-up they had all, what felt like dozens of house show matches to yeah. practice. To In 1996... A Sean versus Brett house show match happened, I think, three times. Yeah. Which just showed that, yeah, obviously, as you said, there was personality issues going on and just also those elements. Both of them are far more experienced than Razor was. And Brett, in particular, is kind of a call it in the ring kind of guy. 
Oh, okay. Yeah, so I think it would it wouldn't be his style to do a bunch of practices on house shows. Mm. Perhaps I'm I'm speculating. The second question, it's a big one, is why the hell did they decide to do a, a one-hour Iron Man match? Do you know what? I asked this very question myself. Um, I think it was... It's a way of adding a stipulation without adding any expense. It's a the kind of stipulation befitting of a singles world title, so it's not going to be gimmicks and brawling and garbage and weapons. Mm. Um these two are not suited to a cage match, which was the other WWF stipulation of the time. The main WWF stipulations of the time were no disqualification and cage match, pretty much. Um, yeah. I think later on in the year, Austin and Savio Vega would do strap matches, but that's not a WWF world title stipulation. No, no, no. Like it took ages for the ladder match to be a world title stipulation. That was that was IC level and then tag level, and then eventually mm-hmm. would become a world title stipulation. So it's a way of adding a, the only other option would have been two out of three falls, I think. Um, yeah. And it's a way of adding a, a, a prestigious stipulation for a prestigious title to make it different to just the regular singles match between the two. I speculate. I meant to reread Brett's book on this and I completely forgot. We could do a live reading now, if you like, if I go and get it. Um, but yeah, that, no, I'm uh, happy you do <laughs> No, I'm not going to do that because this podcast will be four hours long. Um, <laughs> uh, I suspect it was for them, like, to prove they could do it. Yeah. Uh, I think it's sort of interesting to note that Exactly one week before this, WCW on pay-per-view presented one of their most infamous matches, the Doomsday Tower of Doom cage match. Ah. Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage versus all the heels in WCW in an all-time classic stinker of a match, <laughs> um, which I'm slightly disappointed didn't get enough votes for us to talk about on this show because it's it's fucking incredible <laughs> we we had very i was slightly disappointed in how few so bad it's good type <laughs> matches we had on this list. we have a, we do have a very high floor when it comes to the matches we're going to be talking about on this show um, I, I mean how did jenna maraska and charmel not get one vote out of sheer maybe maybe like halloween or april fools we should do a bonus episode that is the doomsday tower of pimps or whatever it's called have you ever seen that match <laughs> no oh okay we might have to do a special when's your birthday um yeah it's gone mate it's gone <laughs> that's true it has um yeah uh i i suspect it was for the two guys in it to prove they could do it and it was very much setting them apart from and it seems sounds weird to talk about this when we're talking about the WWF in relation to WCW to set them apart from the cartoon circus that the other side were doing. <laughs> now imagine saying that just three years, four years prior. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I mean, those are my, my speculations. Um, I don't have an answer really. Um, I have a question for you though. Yep. Do you think you can do the Shawn Michaels upside down press ups on the wall that he does in the opening video? <laughs> I don't think I can do a normal fucking press ups, mate. <laughs> Neither can I. Yeah, I was like, those are crazy. That's like that's a mad amount of strength you have to have to be able to do that. Mm. So, as we sort of alluded to uh, at the the start of this, uh, Sean's entrance is an all timer, rightfully used over and over again in video packages throughout the years since. Um, so, he he his trainer Jose Lothario uh, walks down the aisle alone to the strains of "Sexy Boy," which is funny in and of itself, mm. as he is a a small dumpy Mexican gentleman. Uh, he gets in the ring, the music stops, he climbs a corner, and the music starts again as he points to the top of the building where Sean is illuminated in white by a spotlight. Then he makes his entrance deep into the floor seats via a huge zip line. Like, he came... That thing looks so high from some of those camera Mm. angles. And as I said, they've... Even if you haven't seen that match, you've seen that footage in numerous video packages, like, then now forever stings, all of that kind of stuff. 
in contrast, Brett, the champion, just walks yeah. to the ring. And it's the perfect showman versus sportsman contrast to start off. Yeah, I'll give you that. You immediately know that these two have wildly different personalities. Mm. Earl Hebner, fucking hell, he's on a radio mic to read the basic rules of wrestling to two men with a combined in-ring experience at this point of 30 years. <laughs> So Sean's been at it for 12 and Brett's been at it for 18. Uh, and they have to be told it's for the World Wrestling Federation Championship. It's an arm man match. Uh, and they will be wrestling for 60 minutes. Um, <laughs> in the form of a kayfabe prediction, Vince tells you the finish at the start <laughs> where he says, whoever wins the first decision will win this match. Yeah. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Which is funny because I've got some comments about Vince's commentary in it. And yeah, not not the quality <laughs> of it. Just he seems surprised at points with the on the commentary. But I'll, I'll mention that <laughs> when I get there a little later. One thing that I noticed about this, I don't know if it was for mm. the show or for the match in particular. My goodness, they mic that ring, ring up a lot. I that's my very next note. It sounds like they're bumping on a shipping container. I've got dumpster, but yeah, it's just that hollow clang sort of there is something about 80s and 90s WWF ring miking that I really like. There are some shows where you'll listen and it sounds like it's going ping when the ref hits the mat. Um I don't, no other company, for all their many faults, no other company has ever mic'd a ring as well as the WWF have. Mm. And I don't think, I mean, I don't watch any of the current product. It's something they definitely don't, I don't think they do now. And it's something AEW definitely don't do. Well, I mean, the thing about, on one hand, when I first heard it, it kind of sounded weird. But the bit I like about it is there are points in this match where it's slow. Uh, and yeah. that miking actually helps add a little bit extra to kind of pick you up or like an audible cue to help pick you up. So it works with this match. In general, also it helps the it helps every bump sound devastating, yeah. uh, and it makes every count like you don't miss any no. any count by the referee. Um, the other thing to note is this is the 1990s WWF ring uh, that was in use until Vince started doing matches and when he decided it was too stiff and they needed to redesign them. <laughs> so this thing is, like, it might as well be a shipping container. Like, they were notoriously stiff and they were doing 250 dates a year Jeez. in these things. This is why the Dynamite Kid was in the state he was. And wait, Vince wrestling was one of the reasons they changed the rings. Yes, Jesus. because he was taking bumps in them and decided they were too solid. So they became, it's, all of a sudden, in 1999, the rings get a lot more bouncy. Uh, so, um, I mean, they use the opening, they, they start out by, by grappling and wrestling. It's a, it's a wrestling match. Mm. Um, they use the opening grappling to establish that Sean's a bit faster and Brett's a bit stronger and a bit more savvy, I think, mm. as well. Uh, and then two minutes after I wrote that, Jerry Lawler said almost exactly the same thing. <laughs> Uh, Sean is the first one to resort to striking, forearming his way out of a headlock. So again, we're establishing the two different characters. Um, and even though Sean is the first one to strike, I think Brett comes across as the more vicious of the two. Yeah. Um, like throughout this match, you can see the seeds being sown for the heel turn that wouldn't really happen for another year. Well, the crowd almost organically turned on brett parts of the crowd mm. turn on brett during this match and and definitely throughout you're right there's definitely elements where brett was much more heelish and uh yeah it definitely came through and you could you could argue it was the seed threat it was it was in a similar way to like to we spoke about uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi last mm. week like he wasn't necessarily doing heel things but he might have been slightly unsportsmanlike yeah. and like uh like there were parts where he would just uh strike sean in the abdomen or like like drop a leg on him while he was on the ground that mm. kind of thing um uh there's a bit where i looked away for a minute and i heard vince say sean trying to get bret hart over and i'm like bollocks is he and then i'm like oh right you mean in a hold 
<laughs> there is no way Shawn Michaels would ever try and get Bret Hart over. Um, so, uh, one of the things that really hadn't been established um, was kind of, I mean, it was a difficult path to take in this match. Shawn Michaels is using submission holds. Mm. At no point has Shawn Michaels ever been a submission wrestler of any kind. Um, and so the crowd don't react at all to the kind of stuff he's doing. Yeah. Like he slaps on a Fujiwara armbar, but it's the WWF of 1996 and it's Shawn Michaels. So it's a rest hold rather than a real submission mm. move. Um, like Brett's a submission guy. Like his finish is the sharpshooter. Whereas Shawn just kicks you in the face. No, I definitely agree. It's, and one of the things that, so I made a point about Vince's commentary and it's maybe a little bit later, but it's around this point where it really sounds like Vince doesn't know what the structure of the match is. And it sounds like he's, he's actually complaining that there haven't been any more enough attempt at falls. It really sounds <laughs> like Vince, the person is surprised that we've not had a close fall attempt and throughout the match on his commentary, it kind of feels like he's a little bit niggling about why is this still nil nil for an hour long match? There aren't actually that many pin attempts. No, it it's particularly not early on. It's one of the things I think they really missed a trick is I get, I get the idea that maybe they wanted to, to have it be like just that one decisive fall. Uh, at the end, mm. I maybe get the idea, even in a kayfabe perspective, that neither Sean nor Brett maybe didn't actually want to give up a fall early in case someone tried to play silly buggers. That's also entirely possible. Yeah, there's a there's like this there. This is two big egos colliding. But my experience of WWE Iron Man matches are in the two thousands, and mm. those things would go like five four. They'd and even yes. the even the half hour matches, uh, you'd yeah. get a lot of falls. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking of the uh, the Triple H Rock one, which like so this is one long match. If yeah. you watch Triple H versus The Rock, it's essentially I don't know. Let's pick a number five mat five short matches back to back mm. uh, with with an overall score at the end. And I think uh, the uh, Kurt Angle Brock Lesnar one from SmackDown uh, is along the same vein as well. So arguably the first interesting and exciting part of the match happens about 15 minutes in. In fact, it happens exactly 15 mm. minutes in, uh, as they, they go outside, uh, Sean runs Brett into the post and he flops into the lap of the timekeeper, Mark Yeaton, and then moves as Sean comes racing in from off camera with the super kick and Yeaton takes it right in the face. <laughs> this spot. Yeah. Go, you go, you go ahead. You no, go ahead. I was going to say, this is probably the most exciting thing that's happened in 15 minutes and probably will be the most exciting thing that will happen for nearly another 15 minutes. And it, it kind of wakes the crowd up. Apart from the entrance and the finish, this is probably the most famous part of this match. And watching it back this time, I was like, this is so fucking clever. Mm. So they wake the crowd up. Yep. Um, Brett gets to go a little bit more heel because the timekeeper's been kicked in the face and he doesn't care. He turns immediately to Sean and starts whacking him and rolls him straight mm. back into the ring. And then that clever Brett Hart, he clamps on a chin lock, facing the timekeeper, while everyone's attention is on the things going on outside. And they wheel the stretcher past, and as the stretcher goes past, he turns the chin lock around and his gaze follows the stretcher. So they go till they go Ooh. all the way up the aisle, wait till they're backstage, and then they get up and start doing stuff. And they got out of kicking a guy in the face, they got a four minute break in a 60 minute match. Fucking genius. I did not realize that. And that, it, yeah, that's incredibly clever. That, mm. yeah, that's, that's so smart, like to just save yourself like that because you don't need to in that scenario. Yeah. Exactly. Like, and nobody's going to be watching you anyway. There's no point doing anything like as, as a complete modern contrast. I watched dynamite this morning, which had Chris Jericho versus bandido and the first advert break in that match. The very first thing that happens is bandido goes to the top rope and hits an incredible 360 degree spinning flying crossbody off the top rope. 
that <laughs> nobody's going to see because it's in a tiny picture in the corner of the screen. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. There's the new brown bandido of all people. <laughs> um, yeah. I was like, this is, this is masterwork. Like, yeah, nobody's going to be watching. You can do whatever you want. So why do anything? Hmm. Why not get your breath back for the coming 40 minutes you've got to wrestle? Um, there was a weird edit because a line of Jerry Lawler's commentary gets played twice around this point. I think that's a network thing. I also noticed there were some weird um, uh, raises in crowd sound and music at odd places. Okay. And although they would say World Wrestling Federation, they had used the version of the audio where they nobody said WWF. Huh. That would have been cut out, or cut out around the time of the Panda lawsuit. Ah. So uh, they exchanged clotheslines and I hung my washing up while they did a few minutes of wrestle, wrestle, wrestle high spot. <laughs> uh, Brett gets his shoulder wanged into a post and Michaels, who's, as we mentioned, never been known for his submission holds is now working on Brett's arm. And I bet Brett was fucking delighted when Sean did all of that to his left arm and then slapped the jujigatame on his right one by mistake. Oh, yeah, I saw that. <laughs> Eventually, he learned to change yes, arms. Yes, I think Brett yelled at him and he got up, stamped on him a bit and then changed arms. But again, it's a hold that is not over in the WWF of 1996. And it's from Shawn Michaels, who, again, is not a submission wrestler has not been shown to be a submission wrestler at any point in his career up till up till now. Well, what was funny was one of the arm submissions in this was a very world of sport. It's like one I've mostly seen in world of sports type context. So it was, mm. so you could kind of, so the question is where the hell did Shawn Michaels come up with that thing? Cause there's no way Brett's giving him any tips. <laughs> uh, about half an hour in, Earl Hebner has to take his contractually obligated bump. Yeah, why? Uh, why? Why was this ref <laughs> Because bump? it's Earl Hebner. Like, Earl Hebner and Harley Race, right, are two people who, in on every pay-per-view, have to take a bump. There was no benefit to this. There was <laughs> nothing to this. No heel work. No, it's just uh, it happened and we carry on. I think it's to make you think something's going to happen. Um, so, uh, Shawn Michaels turns out got a very nice power slam don't think i've ever seen him do that before yeah no it was good and that's the first time i noticed they went for a they went for a pin i think they did a two count about a minute before on a clothesline uh, okay so uh, okay. it was about a minute i've got a note at the 29 minute mark there's a, a two count on a clothesline there we go But yeah so they've waited almost half an hour before they start doing pin attempts yeah, uh, the crowd comes alive again for Bret Hart doing his lovely pile driver and Sean kicking out of that. It is nice. Um, uh, Michaels chucks Bret off the top and hits a Frankensteiner, but because this is the WWF, he doesn't go for a pin. He has to do the OSW meh, meh, meh punches instead. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and now Sean's kind of on a sustained offense. He's hitting big moves. He's going for covers. Mm. Hart gets booed for going to the floor to get out of the way of a super kick. Yeah. Uh, and then Sean absolutely flattens him with a top rope dive. Um, Brett is then forced to kick out of the perfect plex, which is something I'd totally forgotten happened in this match. <laughs> I think uh, Vince was a little annoyed at this almost on commentary because it's like, hmm, this was an opportunity to have a fall and you didn't take it. Sean takes a bump that I thought had killed a cameraman. He gets, it definitely confused a cameraman. It, he gets backdropped basically over the corner, over the post, mm. and he's fully upside down and then twists over and hits the, the mat on the outside. And the shot you initially get it from, like the camera goes up with him and then he disappears from view and the camera sort of spins around and he's looking at the commentators instead. Um, and I thought he clipped the camera guy on the way down and knocked him down. You then see two replays where it's it's made apparent that the camera guy was just kind of like spinning to get out of the way. But mm. like Shawn Michaels just vanishes into thin air. And the next you see him, he's basically balanced on his shoulder and neck on the floor. Um, it looked devastating. Oh, yeah. Um, that was not going to be fun to take. Absolutely not. But it's what puts... Brett back in control and now he has a target and it's Sean's mm. back. Um, so 
Uh, Michaels gets whipped into the steps uh, and Jose Lothario, and we've got 15 minutes to go. Uh, they do some stuff in the ring, and then Brett hits his... Bret Hart's tope was sort of like a cruise missile with two arms at the front. Yeah, it, it's that... It was high velocity, but with like a soft impact. Yeah. Yeah. It's, ki- it's kind of a little bit like the start of a Misawa. Maybe not enough speed, but a little bit like the start of a Misawa tope. Mm. But like if Misawa basically decided halfway through... Oh, I just started thinking about puppies, for example. (laughs) Uh, He tries to get a count out of that. Doesn't work. We get the rarely seen Bret Hart German suplex that I was convinced he'd only ever used on Davey Boy Smith, but apparently here too as well. Mm. Uh, Ten minutes left, and now they're just resorting to punches before Hart goes to the camel clutch. Six and a half minutes left. Brett hits a massive superplex uh, after being denied about 10 minutes earlier. And after mm. Sean won't let him get the sharpsuit or figure four, uh, he gets a half crab on. So he's working yeah. the back, working the knees, getting ready for the sharpshooter. When Michaels breaks free, he starts to go for some of his, uh, uh, Brett starts to go for some of his favorite moves, but Sean gets his feet up on the pinpoint elbow drop off the middle. Looks great. Yep. It takes Brett Hart 56 minutes to go to the stern and bump in the corner. And Sean to hit his uh, his springy forearm out of the ropes. Yeah. The director misses the kip up because yep. there's no way Sean Michaels has ever done that before in his career. Uh, but the crowd pops and Michaels is now on a run of offense. Mm. What everybody thought was going to be a moonsault turned uh, out instead to be a lame twisting double axe handle off the top rope. Such a weird move. I know, right? Um, he then pulls out a doctor bomb, which I was not expecting. Mm. Uh, and an actual moonsault, which, surprisingly, Vince McMahon called correctly. <laughs> uh, Michael tries a Rey Mysterio Jr.-style boosted hurricane runner off the middle rope, but uh, he is not Rey Mysterio Jr. and sort of power bombs himself, but rolls through into a two-count anyway. 38 seconds left. Hart catches Sean's top rope dropkick and turns it into the sharpshooter and has it locked on as time expires. 60 minutes. Done. I, I mean, if you're going to a 60-minute finish, that is the finish you go to. It's... Particularly with what happens next. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so if one guy is going to lose, he's going to be on top when the time runs out. So Hart takes the belt and leaves the ring as Gorilla Monsoon enters the ring to rule that there must be a winner and the match will continue in sudden death. Something that, according to The Observer, had never once been mentioned on TV in the build. They hadn't <laughs> covered what would happen if it went to a draw. Really? Yeah. Well done. Yep. So uh, I think Brett yells, why, when it's announced over the uh, over the PA, uh, goes storming back to the ring, uh, and as the bell rings, he's angrily attacking uh, mm. Sean's back. Uh, Michaels tips Brett over in the corner and clips him with a super kick, and they both go down. They stagger back to their feet. Michaels hits a proper super kick and makes a cover, and civilizations rise and fall in the time it takes Earl Hebner to get down to make the count. <laughs> And that's it. There, your winner and new uh, WWF world champion is Shawn Michaels. And then he very famously says to Earl Hebner, tell him to get the fuck out of my fucking ring. <laughs> and we cut to Bret Hart's kid singing along to Shawn Michaels' theme tune. Good <laughs> old, uh, good old Shawn. Yes. Shawn never stops Shawning. Um, so... Yeah. That's... Well, he's a Sean again Christian. Fucking <laughs> hell. <laughs> Your thoughts and comments on the main event of WrestleMania 12, Mark? I think my first point sums it up. Great execution, but so, so slow. Exactly. It, they, 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 did, they did do a good job of injecting a bit of momentum and injecting something to get the crowd going. Uh, although it felt like they were saving those just for the 15-minute marks. But yeah. the thing is, it was like, as I said, my experience of Iron Man matches are the the 90s, sorry, not 90s, the 2000s mm. WWF style ones, where you're getting a lot of pinfalls in. You're basically just trying to keep people entertained. You're trying to keep their attention. There's constantly something happening. Mm. And this is not that. It is, uh, it is just, it's very obviously padded. It's very obviously a little lack of a sense of urgency 
and lack of a drive to win. And the bit for me is this. I had a little look on cage match and it's like the longest Brett has ever done a singles match on TV or pay-per-view was 35 minutes. Mm. And that was against Bob Backlund in 1994. And I feel sorry for anyone that had to watch that. Ooh, ooh. Is that the Survivor Series I Quit match? I think so. Okay, that one is okay. Their rematch at WrestleMania the next year is diabolical. One of the worst Bret Hart TV pay-per-view matches you will ever see. Yeah, so in contrast, Sean's longest match is 25 minutes. And this, mm. this is a personal pet hate for me with uh, long matches, mm. especially Ironman matches, is if you're a wrestler and you're always winning a match within, say, 20 minutes or within 30 minutes, unless you build it into the story, there's no logical reason why you should be taking an hour to beat someone unless... It makes sense. And if, if it's a case of, yes, you're trying everything and you get a and you get a, a win and then they get a win and that kind of thing, that makes sense. But the thing is, the, the fact that this was Brett doing more or less his traditional structure match and it just took longer, it just didn't make sense to me. It didn't no, I think it does like make it sense. Needed. Like what you're saying makes sense in in the in the context of a one full match, but this was always going to go sixty minutes. Yeah. So, like, it was going to take an hour to beat somebody. That's the the whole point. You just had to try and beat them again and again and again. Yeah, but they didn't do that. And no, it's I know. <laughs> the the que Okay, here's a question: If they decided instead of doing the we're going to go to a 60-minute draw and then we're going to have a dramatic at the end. Mm. Instead of that, if they decided to do a match where it had three falls or five falls, would that have been a better match? It would have been a more It would have been a more match. exciting match. Yeah. I mean, would it? But the, I, the half of the point of this is to show how equal they are. And again, like, it's difficult not to get into the backstageness of it. You know, the two egos that don't like each other. Mm. Um, uh, the initial idea. So Brett was supposed to be taking a break after this. Um, he was potentially going to be retiring after this. Really? And the other carrot that was dangled was a rematch at SummerSlam, potentially a ladder match. Hmm. Yeah, um, I Which believe. <laughs> I believe around this time, he may also have been talking to WCW. Ah, uh. yeah. So there was a lot going on in the world of Bret Hart, but I think for me, this is it's better than I remembered it. But I think they could have packed it into half the time. If yeah, you've I seen their Survivor Series 1992 match. It's this, but twice the speed and without the moonsaults because Sean didn't do them yet. The finish of the 60 minutes is almost exactly the same. That's the finish of that match. Oh, okay. Mm. And, and that's the thing for me. It's like if this was a 60-minute Ironman match and they put in more falls, I would have been much more positive on this match. Mm. If this match was half the length of time, I'd get it. I'd understand why people like this match if it was half the length if it was more compact mm. but it seemed for me it seems like it seems like for a lot of people it's a great match just because it goes 60 minutes and they never saw matches go 60 minutes it feels like it's celebrating the the achievement of length and not celebrating what it is it's celebrate is celebrating the idea of it and not the reality of it. Yeah, okay, I can see that. I will say their execution for an hour is almost spot on. Like, oh no, are, they're there great. Are like, I think there are two flubs in sixty minutes, which is incredible. It, it's a big achievement of yeah. of their ability, of their stamina, yeah, of their of their sheer skill. Don't get me wrong; they are great wrestlers. Mm. I just don't personally, for me, I don't think this was the right decision as in the length and the structure. 
No, I don't. But, I don't think it was but, either. But then again, I'm not Bret Hart. I'm not Shawn Michaels. I haven't made millions in the wrestling business. And I, <laughs> um, I think it's it's a match in the wrong place at the wrong time. Yeah, like this doesn't happen in. I mean, it did, but in general, this doesn't happen in the WWF of the nineties. This is a super anomaly for nineteen ninety six WWF. Mm. Um, the style they're working is largely alien to WWF fans, particularly to the kind of people that travel for WrestleMania. Yeah. Um, uh, I wondered if it was kind of like designed as an education to like tell fans we do wrestling now. But did they follow it up really? Well, I mean, as we talked about when we talked about mind games, this was the period like after this, this is where the style of the WWF main event starts to change to be more yeah. of the high impact brawl style. And and if we compare it to mind games, this is a completely different kettle of fish almost. Absolutely. Um, in, in terms but, of the structure, in terms of what they're using to keep the crowd entertained, in terms of the the move to the, the WWE the new hardcore house slash yeah. high spot house style. Yeah, but so we will see. We have seen Sean versus Mankind be that new sort of more high octane uh, style. Yeah. main event house style and then later on i'm pretty sure it's nominated i'm pretty sure it's in the 104 we will see bret hart and steve austin at survive this same year survivor series 1996 yeah that, yeah. that is that's the, them doing that's the high octane new house style hmm. um four and a half stars in the observer four and a quarter excuse me um uh, on a WrestleMania that Dave Meltzer described as being uh, more like a very well-produced house show than a WrestleMania. Um, I think this would have been the best match of 1986, potentially. It, uh, wrong place, wrong time. Like, wrong company. Yeah. And... Oh, definitely. I can... If, if it was if it was an NWA audience... Yeah. That, yeah. Was, another, that was another thing Meltzer kind of described it as was um, uh, a, a Ric Flair 60-minute title defence from the mid-'80s uh, against a second-tier challenger uh, or a Flair title defence against a top worker like Steamboat or Wyndham when they were just a tad below their major show performances. Oh, so okay. he basically called this a Ric Flair house show match from the 80s. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a little bit of a peek behind the curtain to say that I have told you I was not looking forward to doing this match. Yeah. Um, I saw this at the time. Um, I did not like it at the time. I've seen it at least twice before before we started this podcast. I probably mm. have not seen it for over 20 years. Um, and as I said, it's better than I remember it being. I still don't think it's a great match. I don't think it's a must-see match. I, I'm going to be honest. I took notes on my first view through, which I don't normally do because I didn't expect to see the match twice. I thought that I wouldn't have the drive to see it twice. And I, I only watched this once. My plan was before this, before literally before we recorded it, I rewatched a bit just to keep it fresh in my mind. And both times I was really struggling to for it to keep my attention. And that's the first time during this podcast so this is what 21 in yeah. and this is the first match that i've really had to put a conscious effort into paying attention to i'm yeah. not saying it's a bad match but I, the way my brain works and my attention span works mm, it was just struggling with it i would liken it to a dull movie that has a couple of good acting performances in it yeah, I think I yeah. I think that's a good analogy. So very sorry to everybody who nominated this. Yeah, uh, uh, apologies for. Uh, well, no, we we've praised parts of it. Yeah, we've yeah, praised... we we can only give our opinions. This is how this match appears to us. Um, yeah. If you loved it, good for you. Like you know, I don't like country music, but some people love it, and good for them. This is this is my country music. <laughs> There are some matches that I love that a lot of people will call absolute dog shit, and I will Absolutely. completely see their why they would call them rubbish. It's like I I'm that guy that I don't recommend stuff to people because 
I know what I like, but I don't know what other people like. I've read 15 books this month and I wouldn't call any of them bad, but I struggled to recommend any of them because I know that my taste is different to other people's. Sure. Wrestling is subjective. There's something for everybody. So I think that's it. Unless you have anything else to add? No, not really. Okie dokie. Then what order do we do this in usually? Plugs. Let's do plugs. Um, you can follow this show at Musty Matches on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me at Kieran Edits. You can follow Mark at Monkey underscore Buckles. Excellent. And if you go to linktr.ee slash Matches, that will give you a link to uh, all the ways you can subscribe to this show. It will give you a link to the full spreadsheet of 1,060-something matches uh, and probably the 104 that we're going to be talking about. Um we have another podcast eventually uh, called uh, DD Teach at DD Teach Pod on Twitter. We've been trying for about feels like a year to record a Kazusada Higuchi profile show. We'll have to do that soon, I think. Don't don't get me wrong. He's a good wrestler. We're not putting it off because he's bad. No, no, no. no. Uh, as I explained on last week's show, turns out it's hard having a full time job when you have that one for a year and you've had loads of time to just plan podcasts and you know do all that kind of thing. Yeah, going uh, moving back into the workforce uh, and uh, not having time for two podcasts is uh, turns out that's a thing. Uh, but we're trying, um, and our, our Kazusada Higuchi episode will be out soon. I'm sure. Um, Oh, uh, something that is out now. I was on GCP with uh, Andy Ogden. God, I nearly forgot his name. That was terrible. Uh, uh, I recorded that last night uh, in real time. It would have been out several days ago in your time. Uh, And it's he and I talking about episodes three and four of the experiment that was the transatlantic wrestling challenge from 2000 which is effectively nwa uk hammerlock versus nwa Wildside from the us with some let's just say some interesting wrestlers interesting wrestling and interesting booking decisions i like bits of nwa Wildside, but i am really really reticent about uh, that whole it's uh concept. it's it's a trip it's a trip for sure Next week, we'll be back. Maybe with a guest, maybe not. We know the match we'll be covering. It is DIY, uh, Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa, versus the men currently known as FTR, then known as The Revival, Dash Wilder and Scott Dawson, now known as Dax Harwood and Chipper McGee. What's the other guy? (laughs) Cash Wheeler. Cash Wheeler, that's it. Um, uh, From a two-out-three falls match from NXT TakeOver Toronto on... Uh, the 19th of November 2016. So that's what's coming up next week. Thank you very much for joining us. You've heard all the ways you can uh, you can get in contact and uh, and follow us. And I think that's it. We'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye.